Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you're using your word in our lives to sanctify us. We thank you that your word is absolute truth. We thank you that your word is powerful and living and active, and that you are a God who uses your word to instruct us, to renew our minds, to make us more like your son, to help us to love you, and as we love you, to love your word, what you revealed to us. Help us to love one another as we hear your word and live out your word in the context of this local body. We thank you for all the things that you're doing and the many ways that you're growing each and every one of us. Uh, we know that as we each grow, the body grows stronger as well. So we thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us your word. And we thank you for giving us this time to gather together to your people to hear from your word and to open it up and to be instructed and changed by it. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 119, verses 97 to 104. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are mine forever. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I perceive more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get perception, therefore I hate every false way. I've titled this sermon, Love and Obedience. Love and Obedience. What does love have to do with obedience? What does obedience have to do with love? And is there a connection between the two? You can also ask, what is love? A lot of people are confused about that today. What is love? Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There is a connection between love and obedience. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. If the object of your love, Jesus says, is me, then you will keep or obey his commandments. And this is worship. This is how we praise God with our lives, is we obey his word. We all worship something. You may not profess to know Christ, but that doesn't mean you're not obeying something in your life. It doesn't mean you're not worshiping something or someone in your life. We all worship something. What you love, you obey. You will give your heart to, your attention to, your mind to, your thoughts to, your will to. Your actions will be, in part, determined by what you love, therefore what you obey. And what is this love that Jesus revealed and spoke of? First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 says, Love is from God. Love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And down in verse 19 of 1 John chapter 4, it says, We love because he first loved us. 
We can only truly love if we know God, because God is love, and love is from God. So how do you know God? John says, by this the love of God is manifested, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world to be the propitiation for sins. You know God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know God through repentance and faith in the gospel of his Son, that he died as a propitiation for sins to satisfy the wrath that is due to you. To know the love of God, you have to know his love for you through the gospel of his son. He says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. And we love because he first loved us. Therefore, God is who we look to as the source of love. If we truly want to understand what love is, we must look to the source of love, the definer of love, the displayer and demonstrator of love, the model of love, And his son, Jesus Christ, is the one through whom we are able to love by his spirit. Romans 8, verses 7 and 8 says, The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. Who are those who are in the flesh and have their mind set on the flesh? Verse 9 says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In other words, those who are in the flesh and those who do not belong to Christ, those who are not in the flesh are those who do not belong to Christ, who do not have a relationship with him. And so this does directly relate to your obedience. Apostle Paul says in Romans 6.16, You are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And if you don't know God, then you don't love God. Therefore, you will not obey God. And the result of that, according to God's word, is death. Love and obedience has eternal consequences. What you love and obey, who you love and obey matters in life and in death. You might have it heard said that love is love. That is true, that love is love. But according to Scripture, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. 1 Corinthians 13.6 That means that if you are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, or rejecting even the existence of absolute truth, you have no idea what love is. Love and obedience and truth are all bound together. And how do we know this? God's revealed word. We know this because of the word of God. The psalmist here meditates upon this word of God. Verse 97, forever, Oh, verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The word of God that, verse 98, makes him wiser than his enemies. Verse 99, gives him more insight than all his teachers. Verse 100, brings him more understanding than the aged. Verse 101, it restrains his feet from every 
evil way. Verse 102, it keeps him from turning aside. And no wonder he declares in verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. In verse 103, how sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Is that your relationship with the word of God? Is that how you view the word of God? Is that how you value the word of God? That it is through the word of God that we even know God. That is the word of God that reveals to us that we are sinners by nature, by choice. And that his word tells us that we are sinners. That his word tells us that we need a savior. That his word tells us who that savior is from the very beginning. That his word tells us that it is Jesus Christ who is the Messiah who will save us from our sins. That's what his name means and that's what he came into the world to do, to redeem sinners and to save them from their sins. It is the word of God that gives us true hope of eternal life in Christ. It is the word of God that tells us how we come to know God through Christ, how we're reconciled to God through his son. It is the word of God that tells us that we must repent and call upon his name. It is the word of God that tells us that it is through him that we have forgiveness of sins. It is the word of God that tells us that this very word not only saves us, but sanctifies us. We can go on and on. Is this your relationship with the word of God that you can say, oh, how I love God's word. It is my meditation all the day. Do you love God's word? Do you obey God's word? Well, see, if you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside obedience to God. How do we know how to obey God? You have to know his word. His word tells us how we are to obey him. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside obedience to God, which is really an expression of his love for you, revealing himself to us and telling us how we ought to live our lives in obedience to him. And therefore, our obedience is a reflection of his love for us. It's our worship to him. And the psalmist loves the word and his meditation upon it is both the cause and the effect of his love for God. His intimacy with scripture produces an affection for the author of it. And because he loves God, he longs to obey God. He says in verse 101, I've restrained my feet from every evil way so that I may keep your word. It's one thing to know scripture and we all must know scripture. It's another thing to long to obey it. Knowledge of scripture is not obedience to scripture. Just because you know a lot about the Bible doesn't mean that you are obeying it. You may be hearers, but not doers who merely delude themselves. Obeying it means keeping it, observing it, practicing it, exercising it, living it out. Obeying it means obeying it, not just knowing it. You live it out by the power of God's Spirit. It's been said that truth is not fully grasped until it is lived out. And why does the psalmist long to obey the word of God? Verse 103, because the word of God is precious to him. Because he delights in the word of God. Because he can't get enough of the word. He craves it and is hungry for more of it. He understands the value of it. The wisdom that is contained 
and acquired from the Word of God. The pursuit of holiness that is really provoked by the Word of God. This hatred of sin that he speaks about in verse 101. Restrain my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. In verse 104, from your precepts I get perception, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The pursuit of holiness is provoked by the word of God. It also has the insight and perception that you learn from the word of God. That's why the psalmist longs to know the word of God and to obey the word of God. And so obedience thus becomes natural when sin becomes distasteful. We have to be, we have to be aware that we don't lose our sense of the seriousness of sin, even the sinfulness of sin. The psalmist here gives a testimony of his life of love and obedience to God. He says in verse 99, I have, I have more insight than all my teachers. In verse 100, I perceive more than age because I have observed your precepts. This is the testimony of his life. He's lived this out. Verse 101, I have restrained my feet from every evil way. Verse 102, I have not turned aside from your judgments. Verse 97, it is my meditation on the day. Verse 103, how sweet is your word to my taste. The psalmist is living this out. He's practicing it in his life. He's being an example to others around him. He's not just telling others that they need to obey. He says this is why you need to obey. He sets the proper motive, the proper goal, because it has to do with obedience and love to God and his word. And he says, I have obeyed. And then he says, these are also the blessings of obedience. We understand that we're not saved by our obedience. Obedience is the result of us being saved. We are saved by faith. And saving faith leads us to obey by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And in obeying, there are benefits. There are blessings that come with it. And the Word of God if truly loved, if truly obeyed through the Spirit, imparts divine wisdom, which we all need. It imparts divine wisdom, and it empowers holy living. And the means or instrument is the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. In other words, the channel of grace, of benefit, of blessing, is ours. And the question is, will we diligently and faithfully capitalize upon it. John MacArthur has said, sanctification doesn't happen by osmosis. We can't starve ourselves spiritually and still expect to grow in the likeness of Christ. All the facets of Scripture, all its rich benefits and blessings are not available to those who fail to open it and study it. In other words, don't short yourself or limit yourself of the potential that is yours but understand that it's the work that is His. This is Philippians 2.12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who is at work in you. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you, taking residence in you, empowering you, enabling you, that's why you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with diligence, with labor. 
For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this is what we saw with the psalmist in the last stanza as well. It was the word of God that delighted his heart in the midst of the storms of life. And God used his word to revive him. Verse 93, he says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. That means that it is God who is the one employing his revealed word to uphold the psalmist as the psalmist himself remembered God's word. In other words, God was using his word in the psalmist's life and the psalmist was being transformed and strengthened to persevere because the foundation for his life was the word of God. We took note of four unchanging realities about the word of God that gives us a foundation for life so that we can stand firm and also stand out with unwavering confidence no matter what is happening around us. The word of God we saw is forever, eternal, permanent, fixed. Second, we saw that the word of God sustains us. The word of God sustains all things. Third, we saw that the word of God is sufficient and is sufficient for all things. And lastly, we saw that the word of God is perfect. It's perfect. It doesn't need any changing. It doesn't need any additions. It doesn't need any subtractions. Furthermore, verse 96 says, I have seen a limit to all perfection. That's in comparison to the word of God. Your commandment is exceedingly broad, meaning it's immeasurable, it's limitless, it's transcendent, it's infinite. And so we saw that if you neglect the word of God, it's as if you're casting aside life itself, the foundation for life, because foundations don't just provide stable grounding. It impacts the rest of the structure as well. Foundations determine what you believe in, how you think, what you do, where you go, who you are, it has an eternal impact. You will either be blessed, as we saw in James one twenty-five, those who hear the word and do the word, those are who are blessed, or great will be your fall, Matthew 7.27. In the James passage, the context is, again, not just being hearers, but doers of the word, obedience. And in the Matthew passage, the context is that those who do the will of God will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who do the will of God are those who obey the will and word of God. Again, we see obedience. Obedience. And this week, if you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside obedience to God. And we'll take note of five life-transforming benefits of loving and obeying the word of God. Five life-transforming benefits of loving and obeying the word of God. What are the benefits of loving and obeying the word of God? Verse 97, number one, it promotes an even greater love for God's word. It promotes an even greater love for God's word. Number two, verses 98 through 100, it makes you wise. Number three, verses 101 and 102, it makes you holy. It makes you holy. It keeps you from sin. Number four is found in verse 103. It satisfies you. It brings you joy. And number five, verse 104, it keeps you on the right path. It keeps you on the right path. It keeps you walking in the right direction. Five life-transforming benefits of loving and obeying the Word of God. First, it promotes an even greater love for God, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The psalmist expresses to God 
how much he loves God's law and thus how much he loves God because the law reveals, the law reflects who God is and what his will is. God, I love you and I love your word. And so, he says, it is my meditation all the day. And the psalmist says back in Psalm 119, verses 47 and 48, he says, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. And I will muse on your statutes. I will meditate upon them because I love them. He meditated upon God's word because he loved it. And because he meditated upon it, he loved it more. This word used for love, when he says, oh, how I love your law, means to have a great affection for, a great care for, or to have loyalty towards. It's an earnest, genuine, sincere affection where your heart is warm and tender towards the Word of God. And it leads to action. It leads to action. This word means to have great affection for and to delight to do something because of that affection. And here for the psalmist, it is meditation upon the Word of God all the day. It was constantly on his mind. He was reflecting on it, contemplating it, thoughtfully considering it throughout the day. His mind, in other words, was saturated with the Word of God. His thoughts marinated in the Scriptures. His life was soaked in God's Word. In Psalm 1, verse 2, the blessed man is characterized as his delight being in the law of Yahweh, and in it he meditates day and night. What you learn in meditating upon the Word of God and studying the Word of God and reading the Word of God is how much you really don't know about the Word of God, which drives you to study it more. And as you do, in turn, you love it more and meditate upon it more. And so you love it even more. It's like a cycle. It produces affection and greater affection, which seeks more of God and His Word. This is a life-transforming benefit of loving and obeying the Word of God, in that it promotes an even greater love for God and His Word. If you struggle reading your Bible, you need to begin by praying to God. Ask Him to give you the desire to cause your heart to delight in it, to give you the desire to love His Word, to love His commandments. And you need to be intentional and active and put effort into planning out reading your Bibles, reading God's holy and living word. It's only through reading the word of God that you will have this affection for God. It's only reading God's word that you will know God. You will know his love for you. If you think about it, what impact would this have upon your day-to-day living? If your mind and your thoughts were always saturated and soaked in God's Word, you're always thoughtfully considering God's Word as you go about your day and making decisions, as you're interacting with people, and maybe you're a mom at home with lots of children, patience is difficult, kids are going crazy. Imagine if your mind was filled with Scripture. What if you're at home and you're having a difficult time 
caring for someone and no one's there to help. Imagine if you had scripture running through your mind and hearing that I can consider this trial even joy. God, what are you doing? What are you teaching me? I know it's for my good. It helps you to respond and react differently throughout your entire day. It will affect your relationships. It will affect your own personal life. It will promote an even greater love for God's word because you, it shows how much you need it. You'll get more wisdom. You'll get more holiness, more joy, more delight. More of your will be done and less my will be done. We also know that the church is the pillar and support of the truth, First Timothy 3.15. And if Paul says the goal of our instruction, the goal of our command is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and an unhypocritical faith, First Timothy 1.5, that's what we want as a church, as Grace Church, for God's word to sanctify us by the truth so that its instruction leads to love in our hearts a good conscience, and an unhypocritical faith. In other words, love obeys. We want God's word to transform us into obedience. And then we are to be characterized by being those who love the word of God and those who obey the word of God. And I often get the question, how do you know which church to go to, which church to attend? If you're looking for a church or you're leaving a church, is this a good reason how do you know which church to be a part of? What do you, you attend for a couple weeks? What do you look for? Well, number one, is it evident that they love God? Is it evident that they love God? When you attend, do the people love God? And you can tell. Do the people praise God as you have conversations with them? Do they love God? Secondly, is it evident that they love God's word? Do they love God's word? Do they ask, what does God's word say? Do they actually pray for the preaching of God's word? Do they point you to the word of God? Third question, is it evident that they love one another? All of these have to do with love. Do they love God? Do they love his word? Do they love one another? In other words, do they love the church that they're in? Not just the programs. You can get a quick idea when you talk to people whether they love the programs more than the people. Not just the music, but do they love one another? Not just their small group of close friends, but do they love the church? Because if they love and obey God's word, if they love and obey God, they will continue to promote an even greater love for God and his word and obedience to God's word. And that's a healthy, maturing, growing body of believers. A second life-transforming benefit of loving and obeying the word of God is that it makes you wise. It makes you wise. Verses 98 through 100. Psalmist writes, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are mine forever. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I perceive more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. The psalmist here is unequivocally and unashamedly claiming that God's word makes him 
wiser than his enemies. God's word gives him more insight than all of his teachers. And obedience to God's word or observance of God's word grants him more understanding than the aged. The psalmist says in verse 98, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are mine forever. What makes him forever wiser than his enemies is that is the word of God, the commandments of God. And wiser means someone who is marked by the exercise of good judgment. He says, God's commandments make me wiser. God's commandments gives me good judgment because God's commandments is wisdom from above. We need God's commandments to instruct us in wisdom and how to live wisely. But we need obedience to God's commandments. The living out of that wisdom, that's what makes us wiser. Wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is truth lived out. It is knowledge applied. Skillful living according to God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can even truly understand God's word and live out God's word. And because the psalmist knows God and understands this, he takes personal possession of what is available to him and he exercises it in his life. He says, for they, referring to God's commandments, for they are mine forever. I have access to this wisdom that makes me wiser than my enemies. And God's word is eternal. It's everlasting. It cannot be broken. The word of the Lord stands forever. And this is what he has access to. The unchanging commandments of God will always and forever make you wiser than your enemies. And so we can stand confidently and uncompromisingly upon it and know how to respond in a way that is pleasing to God, even in the face of opposition and persecution. Loving and obeying God's word makes you wise. And if you really want to understand the world, you must know the word of God. If you really want to understand mankind, you have to know the word of God. If you want to find solutions to living in this fallen world, you have to know the word of God. If you want to excel in your relationships and your pursuits in a God-honoring way, you have to know the word of God. If you want to persevere and endure through the trials and suffering and consider it joy, you must know the word of God. And what you know from God's word, the commandments of God, living according to them by the power of the Holy Spirit is what makes you wise. In verse 99, the psalmist continues, meditation upon God's testimonies, which is the divine witness of scripture. The psalmist says, because of that, I have more insight than all my teachers. Insight means to understand and to comprehend. To have success and to prosper. To be prudent, to be circumspect. In other words, to think rightly, to have the right perspective, and to respond rightly as it relates to all of life. And the psalmist contrasts this with his teachers. Those who may be experts in a specific field of study, 
who have great knowledge of the subject matter and content and is able to instruct others well, but who don't necessarily understand life. What does this look like? It could be a young high school kid sitting in a science class who knows and believes that God created the world in six literal days. And so, he has more insight. Not more knowledge in that particular field of study, but more insight than his teacher, who may have degrees from the best schools in the nation, who is teaching evolution and the Big Bang Theory. Not more knowledge, but more insight. Understanding reality, understanding truth. And those who sit at the feet of Jesus are called his disciples, learners. And they have more insight than all teachers who do not teach in accordance with the word of God. And the psalmist here is not elevating himself. He's not boasting in his insight. He is extolling God and his word. He gives the reason for his insight. Line B of verse 99, he says, For your testimonies are my meditation. That's why he has more insight than all his teachers. It's the word of God. In verse 100, this is obedience to God's precepts, which are rules for personal conduct. The psalmist says, because of that, I perceive more than the aged. The aged refers to an old man or woman who holds status and influence because of their age. And to perceive is to give careful thought or consideration to, to pay attention to, to be discerning, to know and to comprehend the nature or meaning of something. In other words, just to understand something. And the psalmist says, it doesn't matter how old someone is, what kind of influence they carry, I perceive more. I understand more about life because I live according to God's word and I know truth. In all of these examples, the word of God is the, the best teacher and gives the best insight and obedience to God's word is the best practice. Not age, not even experience. We know that age doesn't necessarily equal maturity. You can have maturity even in youthfulness. Paul writes to a young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, and he says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but show yourself obedience as a model to those who believe in word, conduct, love, faith, and purity. And for those who are aged, older men and women, who may have children, our prayers are probably that we would want our children to perceive more than us. And as a church, we should want the younger generation to have this wisdom to have this insight, to have this understanding of life. So we should guide them in that direction. We should disciple them towards that end. And Proverbs provides great instruction from a father and a mother to their children, to their son, so that they would live with wisdom, with discernment, with prudence, with understanding with knowledge, but it comes from first knowing the Lord. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, Proverbs 9, verse 10. 
We also saw Jesus providing instruction to his disciples, but they first must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow him. The word of God is the source of wisdom, and living and obeying the word of God makes you wise. We see in verse 98 the right possession, which is the word of God, the commandments of God. Verse 99, the right preoccupation, his meditation was upon the testimonies of God. Verse 100, the right practice, obedience to the word of God. The right possession, the right preoccupation, the right practice, that will make us wiser than any enemies, any teachers, and any aged according to worldly standards. And so the life-transforming benefit of loving and obeying the word of God is that it makes you wise. The third benefit is that verse 101 and 102, it makes you holy. It makes you holy. <clears throat> he says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your judgments for you yourself have taught me. The word of God increases your love for the word of God. It makes you wise and it makes you holy. Here we have the crux or the heart of sanctification, of what it means to pursue holiness to live separate from sin and to be separate unto God. The psalmist says, I've restrained my feet from every evil way. And way refers to a course of conduct, a path of living and acting. He has restrained his feet, his walking through life, his entire body because the feet do not act independently from the rest of the body. And so from his mind to his heart to his actions, He has restrained his feet from every evil way, from every way that is contrary to the will of God. And to restrain is to restrict, to withhold, to keep back, and to keep under control. This again requires intentional, active effort. And notice the psalmist says, I have restrained my feet. Not, I thought about it. Not, I know that it's right to do so, but I have thought about it, I know it's right, and I did. But this is only one side of the same coin of sanctification, of holiness. You are to separate yourself from sin, from every evil way, and you are to separate yourself to keep God's word. It's not just a prohibition, it's not just a putting off. It's also a prescription, a putting on. And so the psalmist says, I have stopped doing this, that I may keep your word, that I may start doing that. This is what it means to pursue holiness. And the psalmist goes on to say in verse 102, I have not turned aside, which means to change direction, especially in relation to leaving a set course or path. He has not turned aside from God's judgments from that which God has determined is right. And it it is God himself that has taught him this because it is God's word. God has imparted to him knowledge and understanding and the psalmist is restraining his feet and life from every evil way and he is striving to keep God's word and not stray and deviate off the course. It is God and his word by his spirit that makes you holy. But as has already been referenced, we are commanded to obey. We are commanded to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to work out the evidence of our salvation, to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and thus bear the fruit of the Spirit. 
And may this be true of our lives as much as our declaration of how much we love God's word. Loving God and his word and obedience to God and his word keeps you from sin. And it keeps you fixed on the teacher, God, and his, the teaching of his word. And so a fourth life-transforming benefit of loving and obeying the word of God is verse 103, it satisfies you. It satisfies you. How sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The psalmist didn't just hear the word of God, but he fed upon them. He tasted them and digested them, and it was satisfying to him. But he says, not only is the word sweet to my taste, that's a personal benefit to himself, but it is sweeter than honey to my mouth, which refers to his speech. Meaning that because the word was so satisfying to him personally, he also delighted in speaking them. He bore witness and testified to it. He had to tell others about this sweet word. Where does this satisfaction come from? Again, it comes from the word. And how can we have this satisfaction? You have to be in the word. You have to taste the word. You have to dig into it. You have to allow it by the grace of God and the spirit of God to transform you from the inside out. And what you will find as you taste the word of God, as you dig into it, is a joy that is inexpressible. A peace that surpasses all comprehension. A hope that is unshakable. The love of God, which is unchangeable. The Son of God, who is full of grace and truth. And the Spirit of God, who is our comforter and helper. The Word of God will satisfy you. Loving, obeying the Word of God, doing the will of God, is how you will be truly satisfied in this life. And that because you are born again from above. You are a new creation And so pleasing God and glorifying Him brings you joy. The fifth life-transforming benefit of loving and obeying the Word of God is that it keeps you on the right path. It keeps you on the right path. Verse 104. From your precepts I get perception. Therefore I hate every false way. From God's Word, which reveals instructions for personal conduct, the psalmist says, I get perception. This is the same word used in verse 100. It means to have understanding. God's word provides insight and instruction. It provides perception and perspective. It renews your mind. It changes how you think. It changes your affections and desires. It changes your course of conduct, and it keeps you on the right path. The psalmist says, therefore, I hate every false way. He hates that which is evil. He hates that which is contrary to truth. He hates every false way that leads away from the will of God. Any speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And so to have understanding, to have discernment, to have perception is to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. To see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to 
the elementary principles of the world and not according to Christ. God's word keeps you on the right path. How to think rightly and act rightly. And it's better if you get understanding so that you know the false way rather than to fall into the false way and then to get understanding. Though it works both ways. Paul Washer has said, it is better to learn and live than to live and learn. You don't want to learn that a stove is hot after burning yourself. You don't want to learn not to eat poison ivy after you eat it. It is better if you are instructed not to touch the hot stove. It is better if you are instructed not to eat the poison ivy because it could be fatal. It is better that you know the true and living way and then be able to discern every other false way. Thus, the importance of biblical instruction. It has eternal consequences. Yes, you are to learn and grow from your mistakes. When you fall short, when you sin against God, confess and repent. But you are also to guard your ways. You are also to prepare your minds. We talked about it in Sunday school today. Ahead of time, prepare. Know. The psalmist began this section, this stanza, with love. Oh, how I love your law. And he ends with hate. From your precepts I get perception. Therefore, I hate every false way. If we love God's word, we will hate every false way. We will hate what he hates and we will love what he loves. So loving and obeying the word of God will keep you on the right path. It will keep you from wavering, from swerving, from being turned aside. So what are the life-transforming benefits of loving and obeying the word of God? It promotes an even greater for greater love for God's word. It makes you wise. It makes you holy. It keeps you from sin. It satisfies you. It brings you joy. It keeps you on the right path. It keeps you walking in the right direction. We have seen the connection between love and obedience and meditation upon the word of God and the satisfaction and joy and protection that it provides for our lives. So may the testimony of our lives be one of love and obedience to God. And may we experience to a greater measure His blessings and benefits as we seek to obey the Word of God and to do the will of God and to know the Word of God. And may God's Word be so sweet to our taste, sweeter than honey to our mouths, that we tell everyone about it. Matthew five thirteen through 16 You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, to be trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. 
but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, your obedience to the truth, your obedience to God, your love for God, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In this study, we see the priority and the prominence of the Word of God in our lives, the place that it is to have in governing our lives, in directing our lives, in being the foundation upon which we live our lives. It is the Word of God, again, that gives us truth, reality, understanding, more so than the best teachers in their field, more so than any enemies who can plot and plan and have to keep making new plots and plans because they will never overpower the truth of God. More than the age to rely on their experience, their position. To have wisdom, to be holy, is to obey God, is to love God. And even the youngest kid who has faith in Jesus Christ, according to this psalm, is wiser than their enemies, has more insight than their teachers, has more understanding than the aged. This is the power of knowing God's word and therefore why we should pass it along to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power to change our lives. We thank you for the life-transforming benefits that it provides as we dig into it, as we know it, as we depend upon your spirit to work it out in our lives. Father, help us to be those who are obedient to your word as we know your word. Help us to be those who live it out with great joy and delight and help us to be those who pass along your truth as those who are your ambassadors. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its impact and influence. We thank you that we can have it and that we can read it. We can learn from it. We can grow from it. Father, help us to give you all the praise for your word and your work in our lives through it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.